Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, August 29th. It's time for a free-for-all. Anything goes today. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, pick up the phone and join me. I've got a couple things, not a lot today, so uh, jump in with your calls and questions, anything you want to talk about. We can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join me. Those lines are open. We'll get to your calls here as soon as they start coming in. A couple things I want to talk about. One, I've been following this uh, this drama with the FedEx ground contractor I talked about starting last week. The, uh, the contractor who owns uh, 275 trucks, has 225 employees across 10 states with FedEx ground. He started a trade association. He had an annual meeting. He invited the CEO to come and speak, the CEO from FedEx. FedEx turned him down. Here's really the problem, and I said this right from the start. He wants to be the kind of central point of collective bargaining for other contractors. FedEx will will negotiate all of his routes with him. They do negotiate individually, but he wanted to help other people negotiate. FedEx has always been very, very clear about that. No collective bargaining, no third-party contract negotiations. So it's been interesting to watch this back and forth. And not only did he say that he may quit in November if they won't work with him, and by saying November, he knew exactly what he was doing. That's peak season. You know, that's you can't make those kind of changes during peak season. And he also came out and said that about a third of all the FedEx van contractors would be in trouble if FedEx didn't change something. He even mentioned line haul, and I don't think he knows what he's talking about there. The line haul contractors over there have done really well forever. Of course, they'd like more money. Everybody would, but they're not in any danger over there. The van guys, eh, they've always been right on the edge. But turns out that uh, he may have uh, spoken a little too soon because FedEx canceled his contract. 225 people out of work today, and he's got an awful lot of vans. You know, the only thing I think he could do with something like this maybe maybe put a bunch of them on at Amazon. And I have a feeling that's probably a whole lot worse than FedEx from what I understand. That, um, you know, maybe maybe he's financially set and this is no big deal for him, but what about the 225 employees? Well, we'll see. That's a uh, that's an interesting story going on there, no doubt. Let's uh, let's grab a call since we've got one coming in. I have some other things I might talk about, um, but if you want to jump in, now is the time. Eight five five nine five zero three eight three five. It is a free for all today. Anything goes. Pick up the phone and join me. 
We're going to get started in Pennsylvania today. Steve, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Kevin. Uh, I just sent you about 10 minutes ago a mess, uh, through Messenger uh, picture that I took the other day at Kenley, uh, the max mileage that uh, is on the shelf that has large difference. Do you see it in your Messenger there? Uh, uh, hold Facebook on. Messenger? Hold on one Should be your second. top one when you open it. Yeah, I know. I, I just sent it like 10 minutes ago, so I figured you hadn't looked at it yet. Got it. I had but, uh, while I'm while I'm looking that up. What do you think about uh, the ongoing drama there with FedEx? Quite a uh, quite yeah, a quite I, a happening. I, I, thought they it was I thought it was stupid. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I figured they would. I, yeah. Don't you know? Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> you know. I mean, really. Uh, yeah. You know, so did he, like I say, you know, there are ways to do it. Not that wasn't the way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Did he? Did he really believe he was big enough? I mean, he's he's still a drop in the bucket. They have like sixty thousand routes. <laughs> I mean, he's not that big. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, and you yeah. know, FedEx has always been very, very clear about this. They they don't want unions. They don't want third party negotiations. And and they. Uh, <laughs> They, and look, from their point of view, well, if he threatens to cancel during peak, that would be a big problem for them. They cancel him now. They can get this all set oh, up, figured be, out before right. peak season. Yeah. Yeah, they can get other people in there. Now, that, that being said, I never I, – I mean, I looked at that back in the day when, when, when RPS had it. Um, you know, and, and I looked at it then, and I, I just didn't see a way to make money on the step thing. I, I just didn't. I didn't see. I, I said. I said you can go out and work a regular job and do much better uh, than that. I, you know, the only the only one that intrigued me was your type of contract. The you know the line haul. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, because you did see people start to be able to sell it. I know you got a you got a nice amount for your three your three routes and uh, um, you know and that and that made it worthwhile. It made it like you said. It made it kind of like people that had their own authority back when. When it meant something back pre nineteen eighty, you know they, they the 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 authority the route it was what they were selling, not you know not the fact that they could make money on it. It was the, it was the route that they were selling, and and that's yeah. what you were able to do sell your contract. And uh, you but know, I don't see that yeah. happening with the with the no, uh, step no. van. You know, with 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 my contract, not only was the value there when I sold it, but I made money every year on almost no work. Uh, that really was, you know, that I, I saw some show the other day where they were asking people what was the hardest decision you've ever made in your life. And I, I, I have to say, getting rid of that contract was one of them. And I, I normally do not have trouble making decisions. I'm usually pretty decisive. That was a tough one, though. I mean, that, that had provided a lot of revenue yeah. for a lot of years, and it wasn't a whole lot of work. And, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that I was there. I experienced you, it. I well, made a lot of money. You had the same I, guys on it. Right. Yeah. And you had the same guys on it all the time. You didn't have to be concerned with it. But, uh, yeah, I'm adding – right now I'm adding drivers, and, and, and I, will have to keep, I will have to dispatch and keep them, you know, keep them going. Uh, I have some good relationships, and so some of them I've got routes. You know, routes for it, and once I get them on a route, it, it'll be fairly easy. Not as easy as the FedEx, one. Um, but you know, if you got them in like like you had areas where you were running, if your guy broke down, you had 
road services along that way that you had already used before. So running that same route very helpful. You not run all over the side. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got. I mean, I've, I had a two million mile truck. I had plenty of breakdowns where I had to get going quickly, and I learned how to how to do that. And I actually developed some relationships with jobs in my route, so that'll help me. But it still was not that was not going to be as easy as what you were doing. You were doing two two hours a week just to get them paid and do your accounting. That was kind of it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. There wasn't uh, much else was to a, do. That was an easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. but that was an easy hundred plus thousand dollars a year for three trucks. Yeah. Over, over the years, like I said, I, I handled hundreds of those van contractors for their taxes. I knew exactly what they made, what they spent. There were a handful of guys that got in early, got the really close in routes to the terminal where you hardly put any miles on the van. You just did a lot of stops and handled a lot of packages. The farther away from the terminal you got, the harder it was to make a profit. Your expenses went up. Your revenue yeah. really yeah. didn't. The The pay model was skewed towards, you know, delivering packages, not driving miles. And I struggled with that because when I worked in a small terminal in Akron, I had to cover all the P&D work that needed a tractor. And that P&D work didn't pay all that well either. I mean, you wrapped up a lot of time and it didn't pay all that well, but that was part of it. If you wanted the line haul in that terminal, you had to take the, the local work with it. And there were times you had where to take the local work. Now, if you went in, I yeah. had to rent their yeah. track. You went in where they had a preloaded. Right, right. Now, if you went in and into a, a place where they had a preloaded trailer, did you get paid for all the packages that were on no. that trailer when you were going back to the terminal with no. it? No. No, oh, you, you, okay. we, had, you. we had a rate just yeah. for trailer spots, and that rate wasn't that great. It wasn't horrible because at least yeah. you knew at the trailer spot you weren't going to wrap up a bunch of time. It wasn't like you were going to get somewhere and you had to right. scan 300 packages and load them or unload them. So the, I did a bunch of trailer spots, and they were, they were okay. You, you made enough money that it was worth it. It wasn't yeah. the greatest thing, but it didn't tie up a lot of time. But I, when I looked at the van guys, I just looked at those numbers and I thought, there is no way. First off, I wouldn't own one and drive it, not for the amount of money those guys were making. And trying to own them and no. hire other people to drive them? Oh, hell no. I There is no way. Yeah. I can't imagine what this guy's day looks like with all those and he he has to have people below him even one person could not possibly manage all that so he must have you know administrative employees that are helping him with hiring and managing it and that's a hell of an operation well the accounting the accounting would be uh would be a nightmare for that man you ain't kidding Uh, yeah yeah um Hiring, so, so I'm I'm putting in Oof. systems now to you know to, to help myself. You know, doing profit gauges on each truck, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna bring them all together uh, afterwards. But you know, I want to have each truck separate because I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got a bonus built in for my guys that that you know of ten percent of my profit each quarter they're gonna get as a bonus. So that's gonna be incentive for them to keep you know keep my expenses down, fuel fuel mileage up, those kind of things. You know, and uh, so, uh, so yeah, that, but even at that, I mean, I've got to do separate accounting on each truck. So I'm going to just do it each one in profit gauges and then I'll put them together afterwards. But, uh, well, you know, but that's just going to be with like, you know, two to four trucks. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, and and here's the thing. Honestly, as crazy as it sounds, on on his operation with 225 or 275 trucks, I still couldn't figure out if he really has 50 trucks with no drivers in them. I mean, it's nice you have to have some spares in an operation like that, but not 50. 50 is an awful lot of equipment to be yeah. sitting around not generating any revenue. Um, but you should track each one individually because at some point, yeah. at, at some point, and I don't know if he did this, he seems like a pretty sharp businessman, so he probably did, but at some point, you should maybe be looking at selling those not very profitable routes that are causing you a lot of headaches and taking a lot of time. Sell them off. But how would you know which ones if you're exactly. not tracking them individually? Well, that and that's it. I mean, it's just like, you know, my route will be different for each driver. And so you want, you know, obviously the ones that are more uh, more profitable, you want to do, you know, do more with or try to move or find more freight in those areas for the other guys even, you know. Uh, because it, it's like like Chuck Snow says, if you find an area and own it, then you know the area. You know your maintenance shops. You know everything Absolutely. in those areas. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's why I kind of stick between North and South Carolina and and Wisconsin in the mid you know through the Midwest. That and Midwest is good, but but you know uh, I've got I might have you know one guy going up north in the Northeast too, but it might you know it might be where between the tolls and everything else in the Northeast. It might be better to move that that route over, keeping it individually uh, you know, accounted for. Then you can you can make those decisions a lot easier. So that makes it a lot easier. Did you get that picture with the uh, two max mileages there? I did. I did. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is a, it's some sort of evaporation problem. I haven't heard back from Britt yet. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Bruce had given me the number the other day. Yeah. Uh, for him. And I hadn't heard back from him yet, but hey, I'm wondering what is, I mean, you know, obviously something is evaporating, you know, some kind of pinhole or something. And, and, and of course on mine, the, you know, the, 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 the little, the little, uh, seal on the top was there. Yeah. But there again, there's got to be some, some way for some air or some, something to, uh, to evaporate. Uh, my, you know, my fix for that is I'll buy it when I need it, and I'm gonna make sure the one I get right. the full. One. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially uh, every so, ounce of that stuff is really valuable. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, like I say, it's a it's a hundred twenty eight. Uh, basically, two dollars an ounce. Yeah, is what you pay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so at that now, like I say, at nine miles to the gallon, mine lasts uh, two and a, between you know between two and a half and three months. Whereas the average guy does, does one every two months or less. Um, so, you know, but it, it, with what it saves you, uh, the after treatment issues, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to uh, go on vacation. My wife is retiring and we're having her party and we're going on vacation. Uh, but then, you know, I'm going to have my, my truck. I got 250,000 miles on this new one and I'm going to have it in the shop and, and I'm going to have them download my ACM. I can't even tell nowadays when I'm when I have a rolling regen. I mean, the max mileage will. Yeah, no uh, doubt. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And yeah. the last time I checked it, it was about one rolling regen every 5,500 miles. The average truck has a regen every 340 miles rolling. Plus, <laughs> all of these folks that are having these 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 parked regens. Now, and we've got a, a tribe member that's doing very, very well with his truck, about 10 miles to the gallon. It's got a new Cascadia. And I'm not going to say his name right now, but he's having a lot of parked regens. 
And, you know, I, I, I would have, I'd be all over Max Milan if, if, if I were him. Um, because you know, he really needs it. He, he's getting great fuel economy. He's got great specs. He's got specs like I would want. I mean, I, if I had, see, I'm getting nine miles to the gallon on this. If I had that single overdrive uh, instead of the direct drive with these two twenty eight. And if I had a uh, 13.5 front axle instead of 12 where I could close the gap up more, this would be more than a 10-mile-per-gallon truck. I mean, that's the difference. Yeah. And uh, specking it is a huge part of it right there. Just think that that's $10,000 a year that uh, that is saving uh, him in fuel over me just with those two two, two different uh, – those okay. two things that were specced properly – and of course, like I say, I won this truck, so it, it wasn't like exactly. I, I wasn't right. able right. to pick my spec. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a blessing at, at any rate, you know. But um, but I'm you know you look for the future though. You look at the future would be if there's any new trucks, it, it's going to be a Joel truck. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's going to yep. be that I four uh, because I think you can come out of the, come out getting ten miles to gallon or better, and 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 that I mean to me that. That's just a huge part of it. I mean, everybody out here is running around and getting 6.6 or 7, 7.5. And, and just think, you know, doing the same work, I'm, I'm, I'm putting 20 more thousand in my pocket every year in fuel savings than they are. You, would, you, know, you know, same work. You know, you know here's, so, here's the thing we need to remember about this. When times are good in trucking, virtually anybody can make it. I've said this many, many times. When we're yeah. in an up economy, if you can't make it with a truck, you, you should just really reconsider whether you're cut out to be in business. Everybody was making it for, the, for almost a decade. Trucking was easy. We didn't have any real big downturns. We had a couple slow seasons here and there. For the most part, we've had a decade plus of making money. But now that's about to change. And this is when all of these things we talk about become critically important. The people who are doing them will get through this just fine. The rest of them are starting to drop like flies already. Yeah, they are. They are, and 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 like I say, and and it's it's all about the relationship, and and nobody, you know, everybody was out there chasing every dollar they could on the load board. And, uh, and they were good dollars. And, they and, really were. And let's but they not weren't forget. trying to build relationships with no, those customers. No, let's not forget. They were doing the opposite. They were getting on social media and bragging about how they stuck it to the broker again and laughing at them. That's oh, yeah. what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I watched yeah. it. I talked about it yep. every time. Yep. This will come back to bite you. They were you. talking about the customers. Yes. It will. It will. It will. And, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, on the – you know, on, on the big board or at Landstar. I mean, we've got we got folks in the Landstar groups every day that call trashing agents. Uh, and yes. I, you know, I tell them, I say, be careful trashing I, your customers. Why would you do you that? Know, uh, because yeah. I'm I'm friends with lots of agents, and they'll call me sometimes. You see what so and so wrote on exactly, on, <laughs> and, yeah, of and they didn't, watch even though they didn't stuff. write about them. Yeah, yeah, they're not gonna. They're not. They're, why do I want to give a load to somebody that's gonna get on on social media afterwards and trash me? Exactly. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, so short. So yeah. I mean, and it's going to be, it is, it is. And like I say, you know, I have been, yeah, I've got great customers. I've been fortunate. I have, we haven't had them coming back looking for, uh, for, for less money yet. Part of the reason is 
Uh, you know what? You know, seven years. I've never been late. Exactly. Uh, yeah. They don't want to <laughs> mess know, with that. That that's part of it. Yeah, they don't want to mess. Yeah, with they that. don't want to mess with that. And yeah, and right. and and yes, I'm sure if, if they could get it cheaper, but you know, hey, dude, that's the beauty of it. But you know, like I say, like we were talking about, it's all about the relationships, and and the relationship is not a one time thing. You got to do it every that, day. It's nonstop. You, know, it, you didn't. Right. It's nonstop. Yeah, that 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 uh, that saying is uh, hustle till they know you. No, 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 hustle every day because because they will they you know they will uh, you know hustle yeah. every day because if you don't, somebody else will hustle that day and get it away from you. So you know, there's it, it's not a uh, it's not a yeah. There, there's all kinds of great quotes and motivational sayings and all that stuff. One of my absolute favorites, though, and it was on the wall at uh, the first terminal that I started. We were just talking about RPS. First terminal I started at, it was on the wall behind the terminal manager's desk. And he was a real hard ass, but him and I got along good. But he had a sign on the back of his wall. I love this saying. Like I said, there's thousands of these, but this one always sticks with me. And the saying was pretty simple. All it said was, you can only coast in one direction. (laughs) (laughs) I think think about that saying all the time. Every time I feel like letting up a little bit and going easy and taking a break, I always think it's okay to take a break, but don't forget, you can only coast in one direction. That's exactly right. So, and it's easy enough, just, you know, you know, Keep your head down, work, keep That's the left it. door shut. That's um, it. And just, just, you know, if you just have that work ethic, then, then, then you've got it. So, yeah. uh, so, so like I say, I've been here eight years now, just past my million miles of safe driving here. And so yeah, it's time to start putting some drivers in these trucks there and get, you go. get things going and all. So, all right, Steve. So, but Great. yeah, I did want did want you to see that picture and uh, maybe, uh, like I say, maybe that we can figure out why, why we're getting that evaporation. I don't know what it is, but, but the big thing is I'm just going to grab the fullest bottle and when I need it, <laughs> not, is, not that's early. Right. There you go. Good <laughs> stuff. Yeah. All right. We uh, will talk to you again soon. The calls are starting to pile up. Keep them coming. Uh, we'll be here till uh, 9 o'clock or until we run out of calls. So if you want to talk, I'll hang out. We're going to head off to Iowa. David, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. What's on your mind so today? I started, well, I started my, I got my own authority through IDA, and I got a C-Corp. Ooh, wait, why? My tax accountant said it's better to do a C-Corp than an S-Corp. Did he explain why? Because I'd love to hear this. Because an S-Corp, takes taxes you through your personal I don't really know Kevin uh, I'm just uh, I'm really starting but you say I do know and unless they could come up with some really good explanation I'm going to call bullshit I, I don't know any small corporation that ever wants to be a C corporation. Un- unless, like I said, they have some crazy strategy where they're doing something. I'd love to hear their explanation. But what you just said sounds to me like they tried to explain that you get taxed personally on an S corp. Yes, you do. And the corporate. Right, yeah, hold on. The corporation in yeah. an S corporation never pays tax. 
You pay it personally. In a C corporation, the corporation pays the tax. But guess what? So do you. You're still an owner of that corporation. You're going to pay tax on all your wages and you're going to pay tax on all your profit. And the corporation has to pay tax. That's why we stay away from them. They're double taxed. But nobody goes to a C-Corp until they're forced to. The IRS will force you at some point. Based on the number of shareholders and other criteria, you you have to become a C-Corporation at some point. Nobody that I know ever does it unless they're forced to. And you got to be a really, really big company before you're really forced to do this. So I would have I would have somebody look at this. I would have somebody else double check this as to and get it from them as to why they're doing this. A clear explanation of why they're doing this. And if you want, you can bring it back to me or go find another tax preparer and let them look at your taxes and your situation and see why somebody thinks a C-Corp is the right answer here. That's the first issue. But I don't think that's what you were calling about. But uh, yeah, Kevin, I'll take that and I'll call you back on that one because I'm I'm barely starting to use it. So, but I opened up my authority. Now, now let me let me also say one thing. We always form a C corporation first. You have to. Then once you have the, the IRS really doesn't care. They just need to know which one you filed, but you always file a C-Corp first. Then there's a document you file to elect to be taxed as an S-Corp. So everybody starts with a C-Corp, but we don't say it. We don't say, well, I started a C-Corp. It's just, it's an S. We just have to go through those steps, but it doesn't sound like that's what they're doing here. Sounds like they they want you to be a C-Corp and I'd love to hear their reason why. Okay, Kevin, when I get more information about that, I will, when I'm able to explain it to you, I will call you back. Okay, good. But my, my question is that I'm starting my own authority and I did a name change. Now, when I did the name change, now the IRS doesn't, um, IRS doesn't, no, uh, my new name. It doesn't. It doesn't recognize my new name. The, what, Is it okay the, for the, me to fire up authority of, right now? The name of the corporation, you mean? Uh, yeah, because it was Carmen Transport, my, which is my dad's name, but then we changed it to Dave CRK. Why didn't you That's just start a now. new company, Dave CRK? Why didn't you just start a new company? Um. I didn't think the name change was a big deal, but. Well, here's the thing. It's not a big deal and the odds of it ever being a problem are really slim, but it's just as easy to start a new company and there's less liability. Anytime you take over a company, there's something in the past that could come back to bite you. 
So we'd rather not do that. If there's no reason to continue that other company. Now, if that other company had authority for 10 years and it had contracts with customers, well, then, of course, we would want that to continue. But if there's nothing really there, you're better off just starting over. Here's where this is going to get complicated. And what I'm going to tell you is you need to go get an attorney. You should have had an attorney in the first place. Um, It doesn't sound to me like a way to handle any of this very well. Um, The reason this name might be an issue is because a C Corp is a separate entity. They are really, really sticklers about the details when it's it's its own entity. That C Corporation is like another person. We created an entity. An S Corporation is not a separate entity. You operate it as an individual. So there, I, I've, I've never seen the IRS care about the name. I, I've put different names, DBAs, all kinds of crazy stuff. The IRS doesn't care as long as you're filling out the right numbers and paying your taxes. Now, the authority issue with naming can be a problem. So I'm not even going to try to untangle this. You need an attorney to, to get this right. And before I hired the attorney, I would be, let's figure out this S-Corp thing first. Kevin, what kind of attorney do I need? I any, don't even any, know this. Uh, yeah, what any, kind of attorney? Any general business attorney should know corporations. This is pretty basic legal stuff. So you don't need any kind of really specialized attorney. I would just stick with somebody who specializes in kind of small business issues, and they're easy to find. I mean, if you you can look them up online. If you don't find something, you can call the Bar Association in your state and say, I'm a small business, I have some contract and corporation issues, and they'll make recommendations in your area. And Kevin, the attorney can go. The attorney can go himself into the IRS and fix it. Well, you know what I mean. He can, yeah. he can. Now, now, and and we may want to do this. You now, you can look for an attorney who specializes in taxes. These attorneys are, you can either have a CPA represent you at the IRS, you can have an EA represent you, or you can have an attorney. Those are the three designations. And since you need an attorney for the legal and the name issues, you might as well get the same attorney and have them handle the tax part of it as well. So I can just call California attorney, anybody in California where I live, and they can do this for me? Yes, but, you know, you don't want anybody. You got to do a little bit of due diligence. You don't want somebody whose 95% of their work is divorces or real estate or, I mean, you want to find somebody who primarily works with small business. I get it. I get it. I get it, Kevin. I didn't know that. I didn't know I needed an attorney. That's why I was calling. Because I thought, I was told, just do the name change on your tax return. Because I'm going to do my tax in a couple weeks for last year. They said, just do the name change. Dave TRK. And they'll switch it over. The IRS will switch it over. Yes. Yeah, see, we're, you're talking about the C-Corp now. That That's part of the problem here. It's just not that simple. And then the authority is, I, I've had people say, I've never experienced it, but they say the, the authority and name changes can be a problem. That's why I want to make sure before we get deeper into this and make, you know, a mistake, let's just get an attorney to look this over. Yeah, 
Okay, Kevin, I will. And you're right because it, another owner operator said you're not going to be able to get your uh, KYU and your New Mexico permits I, like that. I, that's, I, that's where you're going to run into trouble. Like I said, I haven't experienced it, but I've I've heard that when you start messing with the names on the authority and the corporation, it can get ugly. So let's not mess with it. The last thing you want is I'm your your authority Kevin. sitting there that you can't use. Okay. I will get an attorney. Thank right. you very much. Kevin. You're welcome. Call me back. Let me know how it goes, too. Let's go to Illinois this time. Mike, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Doing good. What's on your mind? All right. Two questions. Can you add salt to a ferment a day later if it, you don't think it was enough salt? Yes. Yep, you absolutely can. Okay. The other thing about salt in ferments, you know, when we first started, I remember this. I was so confused. There's all kinds of different measurements, and then people say, oh, my God, you can't use tablespoons because of its fine salt or coarse salt, so you should be weighing your salt. And so I went through all of that, and I was in a panic, like, oh, my God, am I going to get this right? Here's the thing. It is possible to ferment with no salt. It's a little touchier. You're much more likely to get some mold issues if you're not careful. The salt is protective. So, but it is possible to ferment with no salt at all. And if you get too much salt, the food may not ferment completely, but it's still preserved because there's so much salt in there. It's one of those things that the salt level is almost more of a taste preference than anything else. Oh, okay, because I, I put two tablespoons. My wife ground up the sea salt, and it was like powder, but I put two you, tablespoons in the in the mixture, well, I will and it tell, don't seem to be doing that. You put uh, two tablespoons of, of almost powdered salt in a quart of water, and you don't think it's enough? Well, it doesn't. It ain't making no bubbles. It ain't reacting. It's just kind of sitting there. Now, oh, maybe it's the, not enough time. I just done it yesterday. No, 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 no. I was just about to say that here's the less salt we use, the faster things ferment. But we are at oh, risk okay. of getting a mold or a bacteria in there that we don't want. The more I have a yeah. feeling yours isn't. Remember what I just said? If you get too much salt in there, it might yeah. not ferment. Too much, but it's still protected. Oh. I have a feeling because you you ground it up so fine that two tablespoons is now a lot. That's why if you want to be precise, you actually weigh your salt instead of measuring it that way. But I can promise you two tablespoons of really, really fine salt is too much. Taste it. That's the best thing to do. Just taste it. Oh, okay. I'll do I that. have a feeling you're going to okay. go, whoa, that's right. really salty. Oh, okay, then I'll just redo it. I'm just making a salsa. I skinned in now, uh, now, the now, tomatoes. And- now, now, don't get rid of what you've got. Just add to it without adding more salt. Just get more tomatoes, more onions, okay. more jalapenos. Just add to what you have until you get to the right salt level so we don't lose everything you've already made. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Thanks. All right. Now my main problem, prostate. About five years ago, I had to have one of them Foley catheters put in because I couldn't go to the bathroom. So anyway, that went away. It's been five years. Everything's been fine. Well, about a month and a half ago now, it I couldn't go to the bathroom again, so I had to go get one put in. They did another PSA now a month and a half later when they took it out, and my thing is up to 14. 
now they want to do a biopsy because they're thinking it's cancer. But none of the other blood work, white blood cells, all five of them, you know, all that stuff is all good. I really don't want to do the biopsy, but we took the thing out, or I took it out Thursday morning, went to the urologist in the afternoon. Everything was fine. Thursday night, I was back in the emergency room getting this dang thing put back in. Uh, I don't know what direction to go. This is a tough call. And eating keto. Yeah, this is this is a yeah. tough call. Um, the PSA number is a horribly inaccurate measure. PSA is not a good dependable measurement of prostate cancer at all. They use it just to see if they should go on to the next step, which is a biopsy, which is also not a very accurate measurement. They have to poke needles into your prostate many, many times, hoping that if there's cancer in there somewhere, they hit it. But you can miss it. That's what what I told him, but he says, dude, it's so big, it's a good chance. But I said now, nothing else is well, that's, showing up as that, anything. That, that's what I was about to get to. Obviously, there's some sort of a prostate problem here. But is it a big enough cancerous mass that's causing this problem? I don't know. I, you know, for me, I would just default to a good functional medicine MD, a doctor, not a nutritionist, not a chiropractor. In this case, I would find me a good functional medicine doctor and I would take their advice. Whatever that happens to be. If they believe it, it now, yeah. I, I want to make sure I agree with them on all the other things. You know, you got to interview people. But as long as I agree with them, then I would be willing to take their advice on this because it is a true medical issue. And clearly, if all you had was a high PSA number, I'd say, if it were me, I'd just ignore it. But you have an issue. You have a problem. We've got to go figure out what it is. Yeah, because it sucks working in a truck. Oh, I'm sure. I'll tell you. Sure, I can't even imagine. But I I would, I am just, I, I, I do not trust our medical system anymore at all. I just don't. I think their only priority is how much money can we make. If we have to do some kind of procedure that, uh, whatever they do, scrape them, water blast them, all of a sudden, is there one that's kind of recommended? I have no with idea. The least issues? Now, that's where I would trust okay. the functional right. medicine doctor. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll look one of them up because the practitioners, they won't take insurance, and I cannot, I don't make enough money anymore to afford this without doing going yeah. to my insurance. That's the other issue. Got it. So. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off this time to New York. We've got some lines open. If you want to jump in, I'll stick around as long as you've got questions. 855-950-3835. Bill in New York. Welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, 87,000 new IRS agents. <laughs> I am very oh. happy that I did not click the accept button on the idle loan when I felt I really wanted to use it to, to, to help me out of a bad situation at the time. And I said, no, I don't want to get involved. And I wonder how many people are a little bit sick to their stomach right now. Cause I know how those loans were used uh, and uh, it would make me very nervous, but that it's still, <clears throat> that is the basis of my call. Okay. I want to run through a scenario, a tax scenario with you. 
and uh, have you play devil devil's advocate uh, okay. and check some of my assumptions as well. Okay, uh, I'm in LLC. I, I file as an escort. Um, right now, I'm up to a hundred thousand dollars in wages as an escort, which is twice what I wanted to ever be at. Wow. You know, I wanted with the idea of starting. It. My gross is four and a quarter. And, uh, I'll probably have a hundred and quarter of expenses. So we'll say 300,000 in total profit. Nice. Congratulations. And I, I, thank you. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. I, I don't, no uh, doubt. It's, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It's doing, it's doing the hard work and being smart about it and working hard despite all of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have, you know, in researching different things. Go ahead. Let me address that. And the first thing I'm going to say is the the answer to this question, the thought behind it, how much do I have to pay myself as a as an owner of the S Corp and I work in the S Corp is all over the board. Nobody's ever agreed on this. There's no clear criteria anywhere. So any number you pick seems to be a total crapshoot. Like there's just no good guidance on this whatsoever other than the the best I can get out of what I read from the IRS is that the the amount you take as a salary has nothing to do with the overall profit of the company. All it has anything to do with is how much work you did for the company and what's the value of that work. So the way I read that, I don't care if my corporation's profiting $2 million. If all I did was work 10 hours a week and I could have hired somebody to do that same work for $45,000 a year, then that's all I'm paying myself. And who is, who, who, how, and this is such a gray area. How can the IRS tell me how much I worked and how much that's worth? You don't know how much I worked. And there's no way for you I to prove it one way or another. Yeah, I wouldn't pay a driver one hundred and fifty thousand to drive this truck. Then I wouldn't I would pay, pay my, him hundred. Then but, I wouldn't pay myself yeah. one hundred and fifty to do it either. Yeah. All right. Um, leasebacks. Are you familiar with that term, or am I yes. misusing it? Nope. Nope. You are correct. We're talking okay. about a corporate okay. leaseback. That's right. the correct term. Yeah. Okay. So. In my mind, in order to create some more, because the reason we do the S corp is just get away from those BS taxes that none of us wish. You know, we wish we could opt out of anyways. So I'm looking at, uh, you know, is the lease owning the equipment personally leasing it to the corporation? Hold on, hold on. We we can only do a lease back on real estate. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's why. I know that's the you, most common use. Well, you can do a lease back with equipment, but you would create zero tax advantages. And here's why. Once you understand this, it's going to make sense. When you okay. file revenue from rental real estate, it goes on its own form. Even though, let's say that I own, you know, 37 rental properties that would seem like I'm running a business, right? But you don't file that on a Schedule C like you do a business because real estate gets reported on a Schedule E. And the reason is real estate, the money you take in from renting real estate is never considered active income. It's considered passive income. 
but any right. other business is is in is active income and you have to pay see on rental real estate we never worry about social security and medicare you don't pay social security and medicare on that revenue because it's rental real estate yeah. but rental equipment that's what's my interest in is it. a different matter mm-hmm. rental equipment right. they just consider that's a business and you would still have to file it on a Schedule C, so you would still be paying all of those other taxes. So leasebacks really only make sense when we're talking about real estate because that's how we create the advantage, by turning that, that into personal rental income that our corporation is, is renting from us. If the corporation kept that money, you'd have to pay Social Security and Medicare on it. But if the corporation spends it on real estate, that's a deduction for the corporation. They're going to pay no tax. You as an individual show that as rental real estate and you only pay income tax on it. Does that make sense? It does. And I was familiar with with that. And I, what I, in my mind, I'm looking at, okay, there's 300. It's like you said, there's no gen, there's nothing out there. What, the advice you gave me about pay what you would pay another driver at, at the maximum makes sense. But a lot of the feedback I, I had gotten in researching is the IRS likes to see 50%. That's of not true. The, you know, that's, that, the, that, that's, that's, okay. that's bullshit. And, and here, the way we know that is the IRS doesn't release that kind of data. They never have. They've never told us how they audit, what they audit for, what their limits are, and they never will. Because if they do, then you could actually hold them to something in court. You could say, oh, no, look, you, this is the limit you go. They, they don't go by that. They look at every case individually. So that I've heard that 50-50 rule my whole life. It's not a bad place to start if you don't know where else to start. But the way I explained it, the IRS says, here's a good example. When the last five or six years of my contract with FedEx, we were just talking about FedEx and the contract earlier, I had the best runs you could get. I had the same drivers forever. I had that nailed down so tight that three trucks would generate seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars a year of profit. And this is not an exaggeration. I worked less than two hours a week. There was nothing to do. The drivers handled everything. I had shops that did all the work. All we had to do was payroll. And my God, payroll honestly took 10 minutes. So when I say I worked two hours a week, there were some weeks I probably didn't work. There were months I probably didn't work at all. So at the end of the year, all I don't care how much profit those trucks generated. I, I'm saying I only work two hours a week, and that's all I'm paying myself for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a big help to me because uh, the first, it tells me, don't worry about the extra product. I mean, it's an awful thing that you finally, you know, your, <laughs> know. your, your hard, hard work pays <laughs> off and now you feel like, oh, I've got I another know. headache because of it. I know. So yeah. I won't worry about the excess profit um, yeah. and uh, the leasing. Because I always wondered, I mean, I've thought about this for years because I've known uh, other, you know, giant corporations. So, the people that should be C corporations have created different arms for, for that purpose. And I said, so, well, why aren't we doing that? Well, here's where it, it makes the most sense for an owner operator. This is the best example of how you would use a lease back 
uh, to create a tax advantage as an owner operator. If you were to build uh, a shop on your property or any property, buy some property, build a mm-hmm. shop on it, clearly we can deduct that because there's a business reason for us to have the shop, but you're going to spend a bunch of money. The land you buy, you can't depreciate at all. You get zero deduction right. for buying land because it doesn't depreciate. Now you put a building on it, you have to depreciate that over 27 and a half years. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of money on a shop. We're going to put up a pole building at a pretty low cost. And 27 and a half years, I'm not even going to notice that deduction on my tax return. It's not going to make hardly any difference right. at all. But I just spent a whole bunch of money. I, I might spend a hundred thousand dollars and I'm going to get next to nothing for a tax write-off. The driveway you put right. in technically doesn't depreciate. So, I mean, there's just not a big deduction here, but I had to spend a lot of money. So the way you fix that is you say, okay, I'm going to build that shop personally. I'm going to spend the money myself as an individual, and then I'm going to lease that shop to my corporation. Now the corporation, I can charge them $2,000 a month rent. And that sure. now they get the $2,000 a month break on taxes. I have to pay income tax on this money as, as rental real estate, but I don't have to pay Social Security and Medicare. So just like an S-Corp, I save 15.3% on all of that rental income. And that's what I was trying to do. I just felt like I needed to handle more of it. I said, well, I can yep. justify 34000 a year into this equipment, but there, it doesn't sound like it works that way. There and, was a uh, time. It doesn't sound necessary I, either. I, I will tell you how I managed to build my income tax business so fast. Um, we came up with, I, I say we, I actually found a different tax preparer way back then. He developed the strategy. I copied it from him um, and made it wildly successful in trucking. So there was a time, I'm going all the way back to the early 90s when I started doing taxes, the IRS didn't make it clear that it was only rental real estate that you could do this with. The wording was very different Mm -hmm. back then. So a lot of people did start doing some equipment leasebacks. What we did for an owner-operator, we took that model of the two-check system where we always talk about, and we kind of did that on our own. We said, this much money is coming in to rent the equipment from us, and this much money is coming in to pay us to drive it, and we put about 40% of the income and expense for the truck on a Schedule E for rental activities and they didn't clarify back then that it had to be real estate so we were we were really lowering taxes for owner operators so much so that if somebody came to me and they had been an owner operator the last three years i would tell them i can save you not save you i can get you back ten to fifteen thousand dollars because we can ought we can go back and amend your last three years returns you'll get the refund and the irs is going to pay you interest so we would do we would as soon as i got a new client we would do the the past three years for them they'd get ten to fifteen thousand dollars back and then we'd continue to do that method we did it for years we were audited it stood up never had a problem with it and then 
along the way, the IRS started changing their wording and they made it very, very clear now that that's only real estate that qualifies for that. So you wouldn't feel comfortable defending that? And no way. Now. No way. Not with the wording yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. in there now. Yeah, it's yeah. very clear you can't do that. And really, yeah. And really, I guess going back, because I did that a couple of years ago, you know, and um, uh, going, and it really doesn't make a difference in the tax projection. Uh, I just made the, uh, the the profit over top of the, the yeah. wages look better. Right. Um, but uh, so I'll, I'll cease that going forward. I do have one other question I want to put out there that I don't uh, expect you to, to have a lot of experience or answer with, but uh, I drive, I work nights, so I'm usually listening to you, in, uh, you know, in the dark hours on the replay. Yeah. And I'm hoping Joel will be listening. In regards to the pedal coach, I've got two questions. Uh, I'd like to hear him talk about that a little bit. He used to put a lot of it on social media, and I kind of got away from social media to keep my sanity. Um, and uh, the pedal coach, uh, I'm wondering if that could be used. Uh, if I was paying drivers on an hourly basis, like he likes so much, could I use that uh, software as a uh, uh, basis for fuel bonuses? You In could. other words, if a guy is scoring 90, 95 yeah. versus 90, you know, regardless of the equipment, I mean, if he's driving a 2000 model truck or he's driving Joel's truck, will that software differentiate in terms of the, what he's doing that, you know, that, I I I have a basic reward. Yeah, I've never really used Pedal Coach. I've looked at it. I have a basic understanding. From what I remember, yep. yes, I could pull data out there that I would be re- rewarding the driver for his behavior, and that makes sense. I've said that most fuel bonus programs suck because they base it on the fuel economy itself. And the problem with that is there's too many parts of that fuel economy that the driver can't control. You just put new tires on the truck. The fuel economy is going to go down. He shouldn't be punished for that. Your charger cooler's leaking and you don't want to fix it. He shouldn't be charged for that. So, yeah, the, the, you will be able yeah. to, to set up a program where you could reward them right. even if fuel economy didn't necessarily go up. You're rewarding them because they're doing the right thing anyway. Yeah, that's what I wanted to confirm with them because uh, I'm thinking about, you know, other trucks and drivers and such. Yeah. And uh, I think there'll be opportunity. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> coming up. And, absolutely. And the other thing. The other thing is, is along the same lines with pedal coach, I use your scan gauges, uh, uh, for, for, to adjust my driving habits. Right. And, uh, I'm wondering if, uh, uh, he, you know, if he could speak about whether or not I might even be able to get more improvement out of this driver. I, I think uh, so. Uh, you know, I, um, okay. pedal coach kind of puts together two things that we have been doing separately over the years. We have scan gauge in the truck, which gives you instant feedback. We have fuel gauges to track everything accurately and show you your 30, 60, 90 day averages. Pedal coach kind of puts those two together and puts it all in the truck. So it's a great system. I mean, yeah, it kind of competes with what we do, but I, I just want people to have access to good tools and pedal coach is a great tool. 
Yeah. I, yeah. You're, you're right. Always, well, w- besides all the benefits of fuel gauges and, and your numbers, I probably wouldn't pay half as much attention to the scan gauge if it weren't for the yeah, right. number of fuel gauges. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, we've always well, kind of used those two together and pedal coach kind of puts them together formally. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to try to research it uh, some, because um, if I definitely were to hire drivers, I would like to do a an attractive hourly rate. Um, no, that's a great and, idea. Uh, I would like to and throw in a throw in a fuel bonus. Yeah, why don't you do this? Why don't you call us this Friday and we'll make sure we'll talk about it? Well, I don't know if I won't be sleeping. Oh, that's, that's the, true. the that's problem. Right. But I do. I, I, I every, yeah, every every week I've got intentions of calling on Friday, <laughs> and the one time I did, it was Thursday. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, there, it's there been a long go. week. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Angie, I'll try tomorrow. Well, yeah. tomorrow I didn't make it. Well. But, We'll, we'll look forward yeah, to it. Maybe I you'll make it. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind today? Mr. So, Mr. Super um, Sleeper. <laughs> Holy cow, am I envious of your sleep numbers. Well, I, this is, I, I, my wife said if, they, if she put lilies on my chest, I can, she can present me in a funeral home. I think so. I don't so. move when I sleep. I just sleep on my back. I think so. You, your sleep numbers are awesome. Some of the best I've seen uh, for people our age. That is really uncommon. Yeah. I mean, I guess all, all, the, all the, the health and the dieting I've done over the last several years have paid off. Um, cause oh, I, so, so I, you're I think saying I had I'm, sleep apnea. So you're saying I've been cheating all these years cause it's not working for me. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think you're sitting there with Lisa laughing at everybody eating Twinkies and drinking all weekend. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> no, you had, you had incredible numbers. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm trying to learn this, of course, as I go along with the HRV. Now, I don't have the updated software in the watch. It didn't update for me yet. I'm glad Steve posted that. And I still have the 8, I think, 6.3 software version in the watch. So I'm waiting on that update to happen for my watch before I can get the instant HRV. But I've been getting the HRV in the health, the healthy snapshot, I think it is, the health snapshot. Yeah. On the, yeah, so I was, I was kind of, it was kind of odd. I woke up, I think it was Sunday morning, and it was 22. I checked it as soon as I wake up. And then I checked it later on in the day. I was 58 or 59 on the HRV. You know, any, the, any ideas on that? Yeah, the HRV is, we're still learning a lot. So it's interesting. I'm wearing two devices again. I put my Aura ring back on. I stopped using it because I was so happy with the data I was getting from the Garmin. Now that I can see raw HRV on the Garmin, I wanted to compare it to the Aura. So I put the ring back on. They're not correlating very well because they're using different time periods. So one is giving okay. us an overnight average, then one's giving us a seven-day average. Then, So it's really, the one thing I can tell you is that at least the pattern is the same. If my HRV goes up on my watch, it goes up on my ring. If it goes down on the watch, it goes down on the ring. But it, they're not tracking together with the same numbers. My Aura ring okay. shows my HRV lower um, than my Garmin watch tends to show it. Okay. Okay. 
I know, I know, I remember you saying that this is a fairly new area of, of data you're, you're trying to get a handle on. So, um, the only thing I, I can say is I'm very sore because I, I, I overused the, the, I won heavier than I should have on the band. Because um, <laughs> I haven't done it in a while. And, you know, being the, the, the gym head I used to be, I'm like, oh, I can, I I can, can use push it. That's okay. right. That's right. <laughs> I, yeah, you know. So, well, um, but I got really good workouts. Uh, the, the My High Blanket, first first weekend for this whole setup. I did, that's why I posted the three days. Oh, good. And uh, just so if people looked at it, if people looked at it, these, these are the morning, the, the numbers are the morning after the workout. So I started on Friday. The first post was Saturday morning for what I, you know, how I slept and the same thing this Sunday. And then this morning I posted that was, so I worked out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I did the My High Blanket. And I did, uh, well, what what Texans would consider cold showers really weren't that cold, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's Texas and it's exactly. August. Right. Um, but uh, it was, you know, uh, but um, now the My High Blanket, nice. I, it says to start off at four, level four. I started off at level six. It felt good. I went to level seven on Saturday and then I went to level eight on Sunday. Um, for a half an hour, I did the, I did the Wim Hof reading. I did three rounds and then I went up to four rounds Saturday and Sunday Excellent. on the breathing while Excellent. I was in the blanket. Yeah. Good. And, um, I, I did, I did the workout fairly, what, what you and I have discussed. I think I posted that prior to doing it just to make sure I had what we were talking about down, uh, yeah. weeks ago, we were walking yep. on the phone. Yeah. So workouts, uh, that yeah it's it's good that i'm getting feedback now because like i said up until now this has been what we call an n1 experiment i was the only one doing it so all of my feedback is valid but it's valid for me what what are we going to see when other people start doing this and we've already identified something i should talk about um lisa started last week and she jumped in with both feet she put in a full week really hard in the first three days, she's like, wow, I really feel better. I mean, she noticed it, it was making improvements that fast. Then towards the end of the week, right. she was not feeling good at all. She thought she was fighting something. She was almost worried she might have COVID coming back or something weird like that. And she's still kind of fighting it a little bit. And I think I know what's happening. I think this is what we call a healing reaction. Uh, all of these well, things actually have some sort of a detoxing effect. And we know if we detox a little too rapidly, you don't feel all that great. So I want to warn people, right. if you start to feel good for a couple of days and then you're not feeling so great, don't quit. But you might want to just go easy a little bit, maybe take a day off. You don't feel, you know, if you feel really bad, but it could just be a, what we call a die off or a healing reaction. Right. Well, I was going to, I was going to say that uh, because my body battery this morning, now I had a good solid six hours sleep last night because I posted my numbers. I only had like five or, or eight minutes of, of awake time. And um, I felt good this morning, but my body battery was half of what it was Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. It was 46, yeah. and I was in the 80s on both days. Now, yeah. th- with me, you're not going to get, because uh, I couldn't, I can't join your 30-day challenge, which I'd love to do. It's just that 
I don't have the room to take the My High blanket with me. My, the My High blanket laid out, folded in half, wider than a sleeper I sleep in during the week. Got it. Um, yeah. And I don't, you know, so I can't do this. But I'm going to do it on the weekends, and if I can do the three days in a row, I will get that. Good. The Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. My, you know, my weeks won't. But so the data I'm going to post for you to know is just going to be. Complete bounce back. The, the, that that negative effect that Lisa had because I those days to recoup my body um, in between. So um, it may work out to a little bit of a benefit, and I won't have those. Yeah, at the beginning to swing. Yeah, you know, like I said, she um, she jumped I, right I in. Feel- she yeah, she didn't miss a day. We did it day after day, and she did it hard and. When she started yep. to feel bad and started to have some of those symptoms, I got thinking about it, and I'm like, I'll bet this is just a, a healing reaction. Right, right, right. Because I, I felt my, you know, usually with my body, when I work out hard, it's not the day after, it's two days after yep. I feel the, the, the effect. You know what's and changed, And I felt though? my triceps and my chest. Um, pretty good on, on Sunday morning. For some reason, and what you just said has been consistent for me my entire life. So from when I was 12 years old and started working out, lifting yep. weights, it has been absolutely consistent. If I'm going to be sore yep. from working out a muscle, the soreness will hit 48 hours after I do the workout. Not 24, not 36, it's 48 hours, and it hits, and it hits hard, (laughs) and I'm in pain. That changed, though. When when I changed the way I eat, now I've had that pain show up in 12 hours. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what what I've noticed. It's not as intense as it used to be. It doesn't bother me nearly as much as it used to. But now I can feel which muscle I worked out in just about 12 hours. Well, I'll tell you what I've noticed. Um, My, the, 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 I guess for lack of a better term, the stiffness or the pain, it, it dissipates way faster than it ever did. Yes. Yep. Oh, so, and what he, I did was because I knew I because I knew I was going to feel this. I actually took a, a fish oil before I went to bed and one in the morning, just to try to help with the inflammation a little bit. There up you my, go. Up my yeah. up my omega three level. Can't, and can't it, hurt. It, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's the case or what it oh. was, but it really uh, my my and even when I when I do something uh, that I don't know, I I. I I twist myself and I have a body ache. Yeah. It usually goes away overnight. It usually goes away overnight. Yeah, it, that's it, nice. Nothing really lasts long on yeah. on, on me. Uh, because I think of the anti-inflammatory way we Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh, I just had a thought. What was it? Uh Oh, I just just it just totally disappeared. I was ready to say it. What was I going to talking about the pain 24 hours yeah. oh i know what it is I, I, I found something that absolutely almost eliminates this completely when i if i do the workout on the and i think you asked about this the other day the vibra plate oh yeah yeah and i read the science on it the other day why so when we feel that burn, when you're working out and you start to feel that burn and that pain, 
That's lactic acid building up in your muscle. That's why it burns. It's acid. And it's flooding your muscle with lactic acid. It burns. That's also what causes the pain later on. I guess what's happening with the vibroplate and these, it's not just any vibration. It's vibration at a very, very specific frequency that does this. That's why these machines are, they're expensive. They're like $1,500 for one of these. Bulletproof makes one. uh, Jquish makes one. The maker of the X3 bar, they're expensive, $1,300, $1,500, because in order to get that correct frequency, this thing has a big electric motor. That's what's required to get that proper free. Just vibrating wouldn't do much of anything. You have to vibrate at the specific frequency. And I guess what it does is it breaks up and doesn't allow the lactic acid to build up. So I have noticed I don't feel it used to be that if I could, if I picked a band and let's say I could do exactly 15, I do like to stay on the lower end of the reps. I don't like to get up to 30. Um, so okay. I will jump up to a to a heavier band if I can only get 12 even and then do three or four or five right. partials. Um, what right. I've noticed is the that lactic acid burn would kick in at about the halfway mark. You know, if I could do 15 with this band, I'm going to start feeling it on, on about my seventh and it's going to burn the rest of the time. Now, it's like when I'm on the vibroplate, that burn doesn't kick in. If I could do 15, it doesn't kick in till 12. And then I fail almost immediately after I start feeling the pain. Well, it's interesting you say that. So a few years back, before I really got into this when I was big, um, I I started getting pains, even well-rested. I would still have back issues. And... We had an old older mattress, and my wife says it was Fourth of July weekend. We went out to go shopping for a mattress. And Kevin, I never thought I would spend this kind of money for a mattress, <laughs> but I got one of those. I got one of those Tempur-Pedic that with the, with the you know the like the hospital bed type of atmosphere. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know where it so you were you were somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars for that mattress, weren't you? Yes, yeah, yes. It was, that's why I'm saying I, I, I bought cars cheaper I, than I bought I this mattress for. I know. All right. So, but, but what happened was when I walked in there, I barely can stand up straight, believe it or not. I'm, I'm very good with pain. I'm very good with pain. I don't know why. I just have a good pain tolerance. And this woman laid me in like a, a, cheaper, a cheaper brand with the same technology. And as soon as she hit the, the button they call zero gravity, my wife said my whole expression on my face changed. Like I thought, and she says, we got to get this. And of course, me being me and the owner operator spirit, I got the best of the best of the best. Of course. Cooling effect. That's right. Um, all all kinds. And, and, but this has, this has a vibration effect in it too that does the same thing as the vibroplate. It has a 20-minute cycle that it, 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 the woman explained to me, it, 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 the way the vibration, it breaks up the lactic acid that we build up in our muscles. Yep. Yeah, the other thing so, that it does, there's, so this is, there's another big important thing that it does. That that frequency of vibration moves lymph fluid around your body, which is awesome for your immune system. Okay, okay. So since I've been doing this and I'm home, 
I, of course, I sleep in the zero gravity, and I, I ha- and I use that vibration quite a few times, even when I'm going to sleep. But before I, you know, when I turn everything yeah. off and I have it as pitch black as pitch black I can get it, I hit that button and I fall asleep with that on. So um, I think that's been helping me out a lot overall for Good. the last few years as well. Good. So. That's pretty interesting that you say that about the fireplace because that that's str- when I yep. I did look at it after you uh, someone posted I think it was uh, John or somebody posted it on that same feed and I I did look at it and I says huh this must be the same thing that my bed is doing just uh, in a concentrated right when you're standing on it type of type of uh, yeah the- how does that how does that feel when you're when you're on there and it's vibrating and you're trying to do your workout but you you notice it it's I I I like it. And like I said, I think I okay. like it because that, that burn doesn't show up so soon. You know, it, I, I'm getting a better gotcha. workout gotcha. without as much pain. And I, it's, you know, it's kind of like the other thing that I thought was odd. I thought breathing in that heat was going to be really, really difficult. Turns out it's the opposite. Something about that breathing. Yes. I don't notice the heat at all. The sweat is just rolling off of me and I'm not at all uncomfortable. Well, that's why I, I upped it to eight because yeah. the six and that's... seven didn't feel bad at all. And I actually, the eight didn't feel that bad either with the four rounds of breathing. I'm like, well, it's just working right. But then I open it up and of course, you know, I'm you're drenched. Just, so. Yeah, but you're not uncomfortable. <laughs> the, the breathing yeah. and think about it. Do, do you use the app when you do the breathing? No, I don't. I, I What I did was I, I just put it on the YouTube because, I, I don't I don't listen I I oh, kind of catch up on my shows. So what I do is but you're I still do it listening to to Wim. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Yes. I am. You yes. know when he's talking through that he's you know talking about do this do that then he'll say if your body temperature is changing that's okay that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think what happens is this right. breathing regulates your body temperature in a way that that heat is not uncomfortable. Could be, could be, yes. That might, yeah, that might, that might, because I definitely felt, I feel my body temperature prior to doing this with the sauna blanket. I felt my body temperature rising when I did the, did the Wim Hof. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, like a little bit of like a hot flash. Right. Type of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, you know, my wife thought I was insane until she saw me Saturday morning <laughs> in the blanket. And she's like, I got to take a picture. I says, you do a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So she didn't. That's but, right. And then she looks at me. She says, I says, well, I can try it. She says, I don't, I had hot flashes. I don't want to, I don't want to go in there and get my own hot flashes. I'm like, okay, okay, never mind. There you so go. she's definitely off. She's definitely off of it. But, uh, very interesting stuff. I'll keep you posted on my on my uh, on my journey here, so you can get some kind of uh, an idea of someone doing a part time, not full time, and what yeah, you know, what my results would be. Perfect, love it. You know, and I'll, I'll keep I'll keep you posted on during the week too. How you know if yep. any any knowledgeable changes go on. Excellent. Um, all right, that's pretty much all I have. I can get into politics, but you know how that goes. So yeah. We'll be another hour on that. So. Yeah, call me tomorrow on that. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds All good. Right. Have a great day. All Everyone right. have a good day. Me too. Thanks for the call. Yeah, uh, always, always something going on with politics. I just don't want to talk about it. I ignored it completely over the weekend. Didn't look at any news, nothing, and I'm uh, glad I did. Let's go to 
Oregon this time. Keith, welcome to the program. Morning. What's on your mind today? Okay, my first question. My first question is about a um, a scan tool or a um, a reset tool for a tech car motor. Do you know anything or any brands that actually work? No. Are you part of <laughs> Trucking Tribe? Um. It's just. What's up? Um, You're breaking did up. Did sensor go out? Uh-oh. Are you there? Oh, boy. I think we lost him. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're, uh, if you're not part of Trucking Tribe, you should be, and a part of Healthy Tribe, and that's a great place to post this. Those are the kind of questions we like answering on the website. No, I don't have any experience with a scan-type tool uh, for pack car, but I'm sure somebody out there does. If you want to send me a message, I'll pass it along. Let's go to Texas. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I was just uh, curious. Uh, I have a Garmin Instinct Solar, but it was before, I got it about a month before you guys brought out the KR. Uh, okay. The, the one that hooks to the GPS when you get a new Garmin GPS pin or whatever. Right. But uh, what is a HRC? H- I don't understand that. I don't. Okay. HRV. V. Victor. Okay. So. Okay. We're all very familiar with HR, which is heart rate. HRV right. is heart rate variability. The number for heart rate. Uh, it's kind of sort of important, but not all that much. And there's not much you're going to do to change it. You could change your heart rate by really doing a lot of aerobic exercise. Um, you know, elite athletes have very, very low heart rates. But it's not a really good indicator of much other than, you know, how aerobically fit you are. HRV, we now know, is probably the single most important biologic number we can measure to know how healthy you really are. I I believe this is the key. This number is what we should be completely focused on. It's been difficult to read in the past. It wasn't that long ago you would have had to have gone into a lab to be able to read HRV. Now we have very, very accurate devices we can wear on our fingers, on our wrist that give us HRV. But here's what HRV is. If I said your heart rate is 60 beats per minute, exactly, you would assume that if it's beating 60 times a minute, it's beating once every second, right? Right. If it were beating exactly once every second, you would be almost dead. That would be a really bad sign. For some reason, when we are metabolically healthy, our heart rate doesn't beat consistently. It's wildly inconsistent. And we now know that when you are under stress, your heart rate will beat faster and more consistent your hrv the variability will go down when you are relaxed and you're in the rest and digest mode 
your heart rate will slow down, your heart rate variability will expand. It will become more inconsistent. It won't beat once every second. It will beat once every 0.62 milliseconds, and then it will be 1.23 milliseconds. It'll jump all over the place. It seems backwards, but when we are rested and relaxed and we're not in the fight or flight mode, our heart rate variability goes way up. When we're stressed, it goes way down. So it's how we get this instant stress reading on the Garmin watch. They're using HRV. It's also when we watch our seven-day moving average, the higher your HRV is, the higher the variability, the more erratic your heart is beating, the healthier you are. This to me now is the single most important health reading we have. Okay, so basically it's just uh, the stress meter on my Garmin Instinct. Is using HRV, right. Now, what changed recently, so on the the original Instinct watch, it it measures HRV, but it only shows it as instant stress and body battery. Those are the two readings that are using HRV to calculate something. In the second generation watch, there is a new sensor for HRV that's more accurate and can read instantly. So now we still get body battery and stress, but we get the raw HRV score itself now. And that raw number helps me understand even more of what's going on. Okay, so in order for me to get the HRV, I would have to buy another instant. Well, I just bought if, this one about you, eight months ago. If you wanted that raw number, yeah, you have to buy a new watch because it's a hardware issue, not just software. Okay, okay. Because I know whenever I, because I race motocross, I'm 52, and I still race motocross, and whenever I'm out there on the track, and I'll, I'll kind of put it on a on a cycling for the exercise because that's the closest okay. they have. yeah. But I know I'll get up there about 162 to 168 beats a minute. That's that's and, that's strenuous. A, that's really strenuous at your age. Well, yeah, I know, but I mean, I can't, I can't seem to smarten up to get out of it. No, I don't. I, just, I, I don't want you to get out of it. Driving a truck. No, I don't want you to get out of it. It's the opposite. I think that's an awesome sport for you. It's an awesome activity. But here's what's happening. I can fix this for you. I can get it so your heart rate won't go up that high. Well, how would you do that? Do the protocol that I've outlined every day, and I promise you, your heart rate will start coming down, and you won't be able to get it to 160. Well, which protocol is that? I know you the, have several. The stress busters. So the four parts to it are the cold exposure, the infrared sauna blanket, the resistance training, and the Wim Hof breathing. You do those four things every yeah, day, I, and that heart rate number will start to come down. Okay, so I'll start doing that. I know I'm fixing to get the X3 bar uh, and, and keep it in the truck. Good. So uh, the blanket, I, I don't know that I'll get the blanket, but but those cold showers, and I'm not sure I can turn all of mine, all of my 
hot water off, and I live in Texas, so yeah, maybe I don't know what the no, deal is, but it, our water it, is. It's a summertime thing in the south. When I was in Orlando, there's no way you could get cold water. There just, it just was not coming out of the tap cold in the summertime. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, here, I don't know why, for some reason, I swear in the summertime, the water gets colder here. Right now, we're, we're in August. I swear my shower has gotten 10 degrees colder than it used to. It feels good, and I like it because I like the cold shower now. But, yeah, there are just some parts of the world where you can't get cold enough water. I am considering buying a plunge tank. They make cold plunge tanks you can buy for at home that cool the water down as cold as you want it. They'll, they'll almost freeze the water. Some of them will. Uh, I'm thinking about doing that just yeah. because a cold plunge is different than a cold shower. And with these devices, you can get it really, really cold. Well, I, if I was going to do anything like that, I'd just buy a water and trough for a horse and throw throw some ice in it <laughs> you can do that too i know kind of a redneck you know <laughs> no no you know one of the most popular people it looks a little uncomfortable but people do it um they buy old wine barrels you can buy old wine barrels for 50 60 bucks um and they cut the top of them off and they put a bunch of water and they buy bags of ice and they throw it in there and that's how they do their cold plunge oh i never thought about that yeah, it doesn't take quite as much water or ice that way. Right, right. Because you're standing vertical, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right, Kevin, that's all I got. And uh, I appreciate it. I was just wondering. I, I'd missed a couple. I went on vacation, and so I wasn't yeah. listening, but uh, I was spending yeah, all the time with the grandbaby. And- yep, that's the deal with the HRV. And by the way, don't give up the motocross. In fact, one of my topics today was actually going to be um, the opposite. Um, I was going to talk about finding activities like that. That's the, that's, I, the real key to being active enough and consistent is you've got to find something you really enjoy. You know, the protocol, I I can say I enjoy the feelings that I get from the protocol, but honestly, I don't enjoy the protocol itself. I mean, there's other things I'd rather do than go, you know, lay in there and breathe and work out and sweat and get in the cold. And, but I know how good it is for me. I know it's powerful. So I'm going to keep doing it, but I'd also like to get more moderate activity with a little bit of high intensity. And the best way to do that, I believe, is find a sport, a hobby, an activity that you really, really enjoy, like motocross. I used to race. I grew up racing motocross. I've thought about getting back into it. Uh, And I think that's an awesome outdoor activity. People don't realize how physical that is. He just said he gets his heart rate to 160. That's that's really uh, that's physical exertion. So find those activities. So absolutely don't quit something like this, but we can get you in even better condition where you wouldn't see those kind of excessive heart rates because just doing the math in my head, I don't think you want to get much above about 145 on your heart rate. Uh, That's age dependent and uh, some other things. So speaking of which, I am taking up a new sport and 
I take my own advice, the same thing I tell everybody else, just like I've been telling you for years now, pay down your debt, save cash, get ready for this. Uh, I've been saying you should have some sort of outdoor activity that you really enjoy. And I pulled the trigger over the weekend just yesterday, and I went and bought all the equipment. And I actually got started a little bit last night. I talked about this a little bit last week, I think. Uh, It's a new... New water sport, kind of, it's getting off the ground here, right where I live, right in the gorge, right here in front of me. Um, We have so much wind in the gorge that the wind-powered water sports are very, very popular here. Um, Kite boarding virtually started right here in the gorge. Uh, There's a new sport on the water with wind now, and it's called wing foiling, wing foiling so you have a wing instead of a kite so a kite is up on strings a kite is basically a wing but it's up on strings this is a wing and you hold the wing in your hands it's a really lightweight fabric and it inflates so you can carry this thing in like the size of a gym bag small gym bags, not even all that big. And you take it out and you unfold it and you inflate the leading edge. And that's what creates the wing shape and the rigidity that you need. But you just, there's no harness. It's not strapped to you. You're just holding this wing in your hands. It's got handles and it's got a a leash, you know, so you don't lose it in the wind. You wrap up, use a wrist strap or an ankle strap or a waist strap with the leash Um, you also have to have a leash for your board but you hold this wing and then you stand on a board of some kind Uh, a boogie board a stand-up paddle board a wakeboard a surfboard there's all kinds of different options but the newest option is what they call the foil So that's wing foiling. You're holding the wing and you put a foil on your board of choice, whatever kind of board you use. So I'm going to be using a wake board. And the foil is basically a long pole that sticks down in the water. And it has two wings, a forward wing and a back wing or foils, a forward foil and a back foil. They kind of act like wings under the water. The physics are the same. So when you actually start on this board, it's not like a wakeboard where the board is touching the surface of the water and you feel all the chop and the wave and the splash and the noise and all those other things you're used to with the board on the water. Because what happens with this, once you get up to speed, the foil is what you're going to be riding on and the board rises up out of the water a foot or two. So the board no longer touches the water. There's no noise, it's quiet, it's smooth. And then you can use that foil to catch all kinds of air, do all kinds of crazy tricks. So if you lean a little forward on your board, it's gonna kind of nose dive down into the water And then you lean back and it will launch you out of the water to get air without, you don't need waves to get air. You can just get air on your own on a flat surface. So 
it looks like a lot of fun. I got, uh, I went and bought all the equipment. You know, it's, it's fairly expensive. I, I spent a chunk yesterday, but I got thinking about it. I grew up water skiing and wakeboarding. Then you had to have a boat. It was really expensive. You had to have a trailer. You had to put gas in it. You had to trailer it back and forth. Uh, you had to have insurance and repairs and all that other stuff. Boating and water skiing was really expensive. This actually, you know, I've got this initial investment, but now I have like zero cost. No gas, no boat, no nothing. I just, I'm, just walk down to the river. I don't even have to, I, I could literally walk. I just walk down to the river and inflate my wing and off I go. So I am looking forward to it. And I think it's a, a great workout, mostly moderate, some high intensity. So between the protocol and uh, getting more active, looking forward to the results. All right. So I have blown through all the calls. I waited a couple minutes to see if we were going to get any more. We haven't. So I'm going to wrap this up today. Join us tomorrow for the power hour and the pit. And the rest of the week, we will be here as well. We will see you soon. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.